0: Hey, Heartbreakers, welcome back to another Breakdown bonus episode. Today, we're talking all things emotional abuse in relationships. And I'm joined today by Jessica Hutchison, one of the hosts of the Honest Woman podcast. And y'all
1: talk all things mental health on there too, right? We sure do. We like to bring some honest conversation into the ears of our listeners. So we happen to be therapists, but we often show up as humans. Which we love that so much better because there's so many mental health podcasts out there where you can
0: listen to somebody sound like a complete brainiac and those are good and those have their place. But honestly, I think when you can hear somebody with a mental health background, talk about things in the real world sense and talk about their real world experience. So mine is like, oh my God, like they're humans too.
1: Yes. And to be honest, Abby, half the reason we started the podcast was that I can't listen to another expert telling me what I should do or how <laughs> I should be better, which often is somebody within my field, but I, it makes me feel bad about myself. So this is our way of saying listen we are experts from the standpoint of we went to school a little bit longer and studied a lot more but we're we're human beings
0: exactly and we struggle too <laughs> Well, perfect. So this week we're talking about kind of a heavy topic, which is emotional abuse. And it's something that was briefly touched on in the main episode that was put out on Tuesday. Let's just start from the basics. Like what does emotional abuse look like in a romantic relationship?
1: Like how would that show up between two people? There's a couple different ways. So I want to give the caveat that I am trained in emotionally focused couples therapy. That is the frame in which I work. Okay. Inside of my office. So when I look at emotional abuse, here are a few things that I see. One, a need to control. Mm. Control is huge. So that can vary from you're not allowed to wear this or I need to choose what we're going to have to eat tonight. It can look like I don't want you to work. I want you to stay at home or I want you to work. I want you to go out there and do these things. So it's, it's often somebody's desire to control what you do. I will say that this often comes from two different places. So as we start to dive into this topic, there's, there's a varying degree of emotional abuse. Some of that need to control can come from a place of insecurity,
0: mm-hmm. while
1: and others can come from they're actually afraid of losing that person. So the more they try to control them, it mm-hmm. brings down that fear of abandonment, okay? A second one is restrict, Okay, so we've got control and now we're looking at they restrict. So that, too, can be you can't talk to your family. I've seen that your family's bad. They're toxic. They don't agree with what we do. Therefore, you need to cut them out of your life. Mm. Same with friends. Well, you're going to go out and spend time with your friends tonight. What about me? Why don't you see me? Right. So, again, there's a spectrum that we're looking at here, but they essentially with emotional abuse, try to restrict you from seeing your support group. So Mm -hmm. the people who are going to call it out and say, wait a minute here, this seems a little off. Last thing we really see is verbal, kind of the verbal stuff. So they're degrading, Mm -hmm. they're disrespectful, or they can be very intimidating. So they Mm -hmm. criticize a lot. Are you going to wear that? Are you going to go there? Why are you doing that? right so constant criticism that makes you question why you're doing that again curiosity is a good thing criticizing totally different right that's usually very judgmental there can be name calling put downs they can present an emotional abuser presents as a bully so when you think of a bully In the traditional sense in elementary middle high school it's the same behaviors right they pick on somebody constantly picking at them and essentially anybody who makes you feel helpless or gives you the sense that you will never be okay without them in your life so creating a sense of
0: dependency but it also seems like a lot of the tactics that you just mentioned It's almost like a lot of it is spun to seem like the control or the restriction is in that person's best interest. And it feels very manipulative.
1: Would you say that manipulation and emotional abuse can kind of go hand in hand? 100%. This is also why it's hard for people to get out of these relationships is because, one, there's a sense of dependency that is created, but it's a mind game. Am I wrong here? Should I be going out with these people should I be working? Should I not be? Right? You're constantly questioning yourself. That's a big one where you almost lose. It's like you're a good metaphor would be you're outside looking for that north star that always guides you home and you can't find it. You can't mm. see it anymore. Now there's somebody who holds up a sign and says, "Oh, follow me. I will lead you where you want to go." So it's it's complicated. Mm. It is really complicated. I do want to add A little bit of a disclaimer in when I say North Star, your gut will always be your North Star. And I see women a lot question their gut. Mm. Let me tell you what, your gut is always right. Always Mm. right. That pit in your stomach that says something's wrong. Sometimes we don't need a label. We don't need to label something to know it's wrong.
0: You mentioned two of the reasons why people become emotional abusers, a need for control and not wanting to lose somebody, but also a sense of insecurity. Can you dive a little bit more into those whys and what would make somebody feel that
1: way and want to act out? So from an emotionally focused couples therapy lens, we look at attachment, right? So we say in, in this realm that, How we were attached to our primary caregivers impacts how we show up in our relationships. For example, if I grew up with a very anxious attachment with my mom, it will show up in my marriage or my dating relationships. I will feel anxiety if I feel like I'm losing that person. I highlight this only because this is workable, kind of, right? This is not that any abuse is okay, because it's just not. Let me be clear in that. But a need to control that comes from an attachment-based issue that creates insecurity or a fear of abandonment, I see it in my office all the time, that is very workable, versus a narcissistic need to control and overpower. That shows up more bully-like in a relationship, you can you can feel it you can see it. So I just want to be clear that there's two different there well there's not two there's a whole continuum and some of them are very workable others are are not.
0: So if I'm somebody listening and I'm identifying some of these behaviors as something that I've seen in my partner, how would you define the fine line between something that oh let me take this person to therapy and let's work through it and I need to get out of this relationship?
1: Cuz if I'm feeling that gut feeling I might want to work through it, but it might not be healthy for me. There's pushback from the other person. I will say every couple that comes in, there's always pushback on on one of the partners. And that is disclosed in the initial session. And what I would always say is, but you both showed up, Mm -hmm. right? One person might be resistant to it. One person might say, I'm only doing this because you told me I have to. I don't care. You're in my office. You're in my room, which tells me. You want to change and you're willing to do something for your partner. That's huge. So somebody who is not willing to change, who constantly says you're the problem, I'm fine. It's you. You need help. You need to go get fixed. A little bit of a red flag there. Those are also the hardest relationships to leave because they're the most manipulative. Okay, so talk
0: to me about that manipulation. Because if I'm in a therapist's office, that if I come to you with my boyfriend or whoever I trick into loving me, and he's looking at me, <laughs> me how I know I'm just I'm in that phase. I love of, it. Of, I love like, it. God willing, someone loves me enough to where I'm like, okay, well, let's go to couples therapy. And they're looking at me telling me about how wrong I am. Honestly, I'm running. And maybe that's because I have a secure attachment style. But if, if someone's doing that to me, I'm going to want to get out. So why would that be a hard situation to leave? Because
1: it's the way in which it is framed, right? So I want to go in to couples therapy because I want to become stronger as a couple. I want to be more connected. I'm realizing that there is a disconnect every time we talk about this one thing, and I want to work through it. And I think we need a third party to work through it, right? So I also think you can kind of call people out on on things, right? So you're the problem. You need help. Do I? Do I really? Why are you with me? Right. If I'm the problem and I need so much help, why are you with me? Right. Like, let's be honest here. But that need to control eats away at somebody's self worth. Mm. That's what makes it hard to walk away from, is where it has been happening little by little for so long that the self worth ends up being tied to this other person's validation.
0: For you, as someone working with somebody who's in a situation where their self worth has been beaten down for so long, have you worked with someone one on one to be able to build their self worth, and how?
1: What does that look like? Anybody who goes to a therapist and they don't have tremendous patience, find a new therapist. (laughs) I will say because I've had, I have, I've worked with it a number of times, and I've had women come inside my office. Who have been given the cycle of abuse paperwork, literally handed in front of them and saying, this is your relationship. This is the problem. You need to leave. Right. As a mother who's had to like take away, you know, an attachment thing, right. I've got a 10 year old and a seven year old. Good luck just taking away your kids favorite stuffed animal. It's the Mm. same. It's the same concept. So every woman I have worked with helping get out of the relationship, first has to decide they want to, not because they're being told to. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's a big one. I have a lot of women who I've worked with who said, so-and-so told me I need to get out. So-and-so told me this is abusive. So-and-so. Cool. What do you want? And here's the difficult part of answering that question is nobody's ever asked them. They've been told what they should do by their partner for a significant amount of time. Now they're going to listen to anybody. So sitting with them for sometimes years, Abby, I'm saying years, to help them tune into themselves and what they want is the key to help them walk away. But it's not easy. And society is real quick to judge people who don't walk away really quickly. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you can see it from the outside
0: and be like, this person is clearly so bad for you. But that's such an interesting analogy. Like, this is this person's favorite stuffed animal. I mean, I hate to, like, compare a, a, I know. a person to a toy. I it out there. It makes so much sense. People in romantic relationships, like, you rely on that person for so much. And I know that the highs can be high and the lows can be lows. And it's not just as easy as walking away. But I'm curious, is there, like, a common theme for when people finally have that moment where they decide – Is there a common reason why they've
1: been able to have the strength to say, I've decided I don't want this and I'm ready to walk away? I think the biggest factor was having a compassionate person to walk along with you and to not judge you and not to toot my horn as a therapist, because that's not truly what I'm trying to do. But I know, but truly it's, you know, I think it gets to this place and this is what I tell people. They'll come in and they'll say, I sound like a broken record. I'm talking about my relationship again. That's okay. That's what brought you in, right? So we're going to keep going around with it. However, we get to a place where it's a crossroads. And I will say we have to pick a path here. The path that you are on, you know what you can expect. This is how the relationship has been and will continue to be, right? We have to look at the history of the relationship It is not my job to say that is not okay. What's okay for me in my relationship is different than you in your relationship, but you have to choose to to be okay with how it is in this format or choose a different path. Mm. And that's the crossroads we usually sit at. And when that is kind of laid out, and again, I'm not saying this happens quickly, but when we sit at that, it's about acceptance or choosing to be brave or have courage some women will choose to accept what is Mm -hmm. that's their choice but it has to be their choice why do you think they make the choice to stay comfort fear actually i wouldn't even say comfort i'm gonna i'm gonna retract comfort and just say fear it's fear of the unknown right if i leave this relationship how do I know it's not going to be the, my greatest regret for the rest of my life? People are terrified of, of regrets in life where I'm like, go for it, right? And I also will say, do you know anybody in your life who spent their life regretting walking away from a relationship? I don't. I don't know a single person who regrets walking away from a relationship because if they did walk away and it was meant to be, they find each other. Mm-hmm. It works itself out.
0: I also think people are really afraid of going back to square one because square one seems really scary of, okay, square one might look like being alone for a little while. And if you've been with someone for 15 years or what, however long it's been going back to be, you might be miserable now, but at least you're miserable with somebody. You have to make the decision of can I be alone and can I get myself out of that misery? And then you got to get back into the dating pool. So I, Ugh, yes, which is just awful. It's terrible out here. Um, so it's understandable why people stay, but I do think it's so cool when people do have the courage to leave because it takes so much self worth. And after it's just been chipped away at you for so long, I really do think like women and and men and whoever decides to do that should be applauded and it's not
1: really something that we see people get championed through no they Um, don't because it it a lot of times they get the well it's about time mm
0: -hmm. comment like our
1: society sucks with self-compassion and compassion for others right and it's so there's judgment towards but abby i want to i want to highlight because you are absolutely correct going back to square one listen i'm 40 years old and i never i never did the online dating that wasn't a thing until after i i was i don't even know dating or married my now husband and i sit with women and men inside my office who talk about it and man that would be hard it is hard and i want to highlight that that it that it's not easy to start at square one, hence why it is so courageous to walk away from a really bad situation, not mm-hmm. knowing what's going to come next.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm starting to learn that I think it's really brave to be single, especially when everyone around you is not single. I can imagine it only gets harder as you get older in age, but I'm getting to the point in my life, not to make this about me, where I'm like, oh, I might actually be doing things I thought would be I would do with somebody else on my own i never expected to purchase a home on my own i never expected to plan you know, the next 10 years of what would that look like if I was single? And I'm like very much a champion for single people at this phase of my life. And for anybody who chooses to walk away from a bad relationship, because I hear so many bad relationship stories all the time that I'm like, thank like I am guilty of the no compassion thing because I'm like, thank God you left. But um, it really is so hard. So how do you walk people through finally deciding to leave and sitting with them in the discomfort of being alone for the first
1: time and what could be, years or decades it goes back to what you just said i have found that every human being in some capacity has a fear of abandonment and a fear of being alone which impacts their ability to walk away right and i will say the one thing i wish i did right regrets teach us things like regrets can be very it's it's wisdom it's like an ancestor right that can teach us things My biggest regret was not working through my own fear of abandonment and my own fear of being alone at an earlier age. I wish that was something that was taught to me, that you can say, I don't want to be alone, but if I am, I will be okay. You can want to get married or want to have a serious, committed relationship while simultaneously say, but if that is not my path, I am okay. Goes back to um, the famous quote of all time in Jerry Maguire that you complete me, which is like the biggest bunch of crap ever, because I truly believe that somebody contributes to us. They don't complete us. We complete ourselves and we find a worthy partner who contributes to that.
0: Would you say there's one common thing that people... And I don't know if complain is the right word, but once they leave, what would you say is the most common thing they have to tackle after they leave that relationship and they're starting that journey of,
1: okay, we're back to quote unquote square one? Questioning if they made the right choice. Mm. Right. And so a lot of times, if people have been in a long term relationship with emotional abuse, they have been told over and over again that they will never be okay without this person. Naturally, when you walk away, that Fear is going to be, it's going to be highlighted, right? Oh my gosh, did I just make the biggest mistake of my life? Was I wrong? Was I wrong? That I see all the time and holding space for that fear is really important. Not to say to someone, no, you didn't. No, you didn't make it to lean into it and be like, okay, so what if you did? Then what? I find that fear is a lot easier to manage when you lean into it. Okay, so if that bad thing happens that you're afraid of, then what? What are you gonna do? And you plan for the for the worst to happen, which is I, I'm I
0: live in worst case scenario land, so I lean into the fear, but it's not a comfortable place to be. And so I can understand sitting with your patients in that room of being like, okay, well, what happens if I am still alone? And just like the look on their face, I'm sure it's just like God, that, this was my worst fear happening by leaving. And I'm sure they want to run back, but um, after working through so much and and dealing with the aftermath of getting out of that relationship, what does it look like when someone Does find somebody new? What kind of things do you work on with them after having experienced emotional abuse and getting into something that hopefully is healthy, healthier? Yeah, the
1: new fear becomes what if it what if it happens again? Mm. And that's where we lean into our own confidence in ourselves. Right. So all the work that's done is what red flags did we ignore? How many times did my gut, my North Star say something is wrong and I said, shut up, North Star. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about, right? And so it's empowering somebody to say, you know these things. You know them. We just don't always listen to them. And we do that with new relationships, right? As any time a gut whistle gets blown, we explore it. Is this fear Right? Or is this a a similar sign that we may have ignored previously? But it's truly getting people to trust in themselves. We know, we know at our core, we know, hence the gut response. It just takes a little while to trust ourselves. Yeah. How do you work on self trust with people? Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think of a specific way that we usually just talk through it. Okay. So I will say, give me a specific situation that your gut screamed at you. Okay, so now I want you to lean into that, right? Like really focus, close your eyes and focus on that gut. What is it saying? Mm. What is it telling you, right? So I think a lot of it is trusting what the body tells us. Our mind, I wouldn't always trust our mind. (laughs) Our mind is a fascinating thing, but our body, oh man, does it tell us? And so I really get people in tune with their bodies and what it's saying, chest right like that tightness in your chest is often a fear-based response i'm scared of something versus like that gut can be something's off something's wrong i don't like this it can also be shame right Mm -hmm. i feel bad i feel like i'm a bad person so we kind of work with the body and what the body tells us to so the mind doesn't go away So we've been talking a lot about the
0: gut. One of the thoughts that has popped up in my head as we've been talking about it is I know our gut never lies, but what I've experienced, and I'm sure a lot of your patients have experienced, is what if that feeling's wrong? When you say that your gut is always right, like, is there psychology behind that feeling is usually spot on as compared to listening to our brain? Because I'm always inclined to think logical. I'm like, okay, well, what's logical Mm -hmm. here? But I totally know what you mean by like that gut
1: feeling. But sometimes because it's not always logical, it's harder for me to listen to. Yes. So it's different where it impacts us, right? So the gut versus the chest is going to be different. A fear-based response, logic can come in, right? The logical part of the brain can be taught to come in and say, okay, wait a minute, what am I afraid of here? Is there something to fear? Is this logical, right? Versus the gut, it's logic that usually talks the gut out of it. And when we talk about research, I mean, there's probably research on anything and everything nowadays. I almost struggle with finding, like, you can find anything, right? Yeah, but yeah. We do know the gut is now the epicenter of everything. I mean, serotonin is in the gut. We always thought brain, it's the gut that holds that. So our body's response, because we are hardwired to have a nervous system that responds to things that says, wait a minute, something's going on, something's off not the brain, it's the body and the nervous system. So I say the gut and the body is always right until you let logic talk you out of it. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here.
0: So do you have any final pieces of advice or just notes that we haven't really gotten to just in the grand scheme of maybe people who are listening to this and resonating with some of the stuff we've talked about in terms of emotional abuse? I
1: would say, don't talk to your friends. (laughs) (laughs) What? okay, but let me be clear. <laughs> I knew you on, have that. on. this is going. <laughs> <laughs> I know. let me let me go ahead and give you some more info. I have found that a lot of times friends can either be really great advice givers or a great support system or a horrible echo chamber, right? And so when you go to your friends and you're constantly saying the same thing and you're getting the same response every time back, it can actually keep you stuck right? Mm -hmm. Friends aren't always the best. For the start it is, but truly somebody who has experience and it doesn't always have to be a mental health provider, okay? That happens to be me and what I do, so that's what I speak to. But somebody who has education on and has worked with somebody who's experienced it is better than anybody. And I would say that to my friends as well. They come to me and ask me for advice on things. I'm like, I have no idea. That sounds terrible and awful, but I don't know how to help you. Right. I can't give that advice. So, yes, our friends can be a great support system, but be careful not to make them an echo chamber. Great advice. Well, thank
0: you so much for coming on, Jessica. If you want to check out her podcast that you do with your friend also, who's a therapist, it's called the Honest women podcast. I'm going to link that in all of her socials in the episode description. Thanks again for coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Abby.